Wow, I feel like I've had church. How about you? It's good. My name is Greg Vicaro. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited because we're starting a new series for Christmas. It's called Realistic Expectations, or sometimes you might think they're unrealistic expectations. You know, what was it like for Mary and Joseph, a virgin young woman that's got her life ahead of her? She's marrying the man of her dreams, and all of a sudden this angel comes and wrecks everything and says, you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Wait, stop the train. How can that happen? That's going to wreck my life. If I'm pregnant and I'm not married, do you understand the ramifications of that? But the angel says, no, this is, this is going to be the Messiah. It's the Son of God. Right? It blows your mind. So we're starting this series out of Isaiah 9-6, but just as by way of backdrop, I got to cover a few things that happen in Isaiah and just tell you a little bit of the story about Isaiah. So Isaiah was a prophet. He was, it was 700 years ago that he wrote the book of Isaiah. 700 years before Christ is born, he's telling us that there's a Messiah coming. I didn't say seven. I didn't say 70. I said 700 years ago. Like, talk about generations. That's a lot of generations ago. And what's incredible is that, you know, some of us, we might doubt, well, you know, the Bible, like, it's just passed down from generation to generation. Can it, is it really still true? Or has it just been like telephone throughout the generations? But maybe you're not aware that 76 years ago in Israel, there were some shepherds that were, um, they were looking for a lost sheep. And one of them threw a rock into a cave. And he didn't expect this, but he heard pottery break. He's like, wait a minute. Like, that's not what I expected. I thought I'm just randomly throwing a rock, and then I hear pottery break. So they go and investigate it, and they find the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you ever heard about them? 76 years ago, they found that most of the Old Testament was written down in these scrolls. The entire book of Isaiah was, was written down, and it was more than a 1,000 years older than the oldest record that we had at that point in time. And you know what? As they compared the manuscripts, it was amazing how closely they came to one another. It's crazy how God can work through generations, but it's even crazier how he could foretell 700 years ago, and that could be passed down accurately for us to know what Isaiah was going to preach and, and what Isaiah was going to prophesy, rather, about the coming of the Lord Jesus. So my message title this morning is, Who is this child? Because for some of us, Jesus came as a baby, right? And, and we look at him and we say, is it realistic to have an expectation that this newborn baby is going to grow up someday and be the Messiah? Is it realistic for, for any of us to think, you know, my little one is going to become president of the United States someday? You'd be like, yeah, right. But it's not unrealistic when we're talking about Jesus and it's prophesied out of the mouth of his prophet and it's, and it's almighty God that has said it's going to be so. So my encouragement today is let's not miss this Jesus that comes as an innocent child but truly was the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. So, and even though our series is centered around Isaiah 9-6, I want to start back in Isaiah 7, just by way of some backdrop to, to what was happening in Isaiah. So, Isaiah was a prophet. He was sent to the nation of Judah to really call Judah back to God. Judah had this, this love affair with God, and then it would walk away from God. And then it would have a love affair with God and walk away from God. And, and Isaiah is there over four different kings, Uzziah, Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. 
And in, in Isaiah 7, he's coming to the king Ahaz. And Ahaz is in a predicament. And here's the predicament. If you can see on the map, Syria and Israel have come against Jerusalem and Judah. And Syria and Israel have formed an alliance, and now they're coming against Syria. They're, they're coming against Judah and Jerusalem to attack it. And Ahaz, who's the king of Judah, he's scared. He's like, oh my gosh, these kings are coming against me. What am I going to do? And I, God sends Isaiah to tell King Ahaz, look, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about the king of Israel. Don't worry about the king of Syria. God's going to take care of them. You're going to be fine. Well, in the middle of this, right, Ahaz isn't sure what to do. So, so God sends him a sign. And Isaiah comes back to, to, uh, to King Ahaz. And he says, look, I want you to... Uh, I, want to, um, I want you to ask here. Let me read it for you. I'm trying to remember it. I just got to read it. So Isaiah tells King Dehaz, look, God wants you to ask for a sign of confirmation that his word to you is going to be true, that you're going to be okay. So Isaiah tells this to King Ahaz in, in Isaiah 7, 11 and 12. Make it as difficult as you want, this sign, and as high as the heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. And King Ahaz refuses, and he says, no, I will not test the Lord like that. Now, that sounds like a godly response, doesn't it? No, I'm not going to test the Lord like that. Like, no, praise be to God. Well, this is the backdrop of what happened. King Ahaz didn't want to test God because King Ahaz had gone to the king of Assyria. See Assyria up in the green? He'd gone to the king of Assyria. See, he wasn't trusting in God. He went to the king of Assyria and said, look, I'm going to pay you a lot of money. You form an alliance with me against the kings of Israel and Syria. So when Isaiah is coming to him saying, you don't have to fear, God is with you, he's putting his trust in man. And when Isaiah comes back and says, look, you can ask for anything as a sign, he's like, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign, because he's just put his trust in the king of Assyria, right? It's not a godly statement when he says, no, don't test the Lord. He's put his trust in man. And it's out of this backdrop, this is what's crazy and it blows my mind, out of this backdrop, Isaiah says, all right then. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son who will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he'll be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. So shrouded. See, there was no child born named Emmanuel then. But those two kings never took over Jerusalem. They never took over Judah. So the prophet Isaiah came with a word to the people, but he came out of, out of the midst of this king Ahaz, putting his trust in man. And, and then Isaiah coming and saying, no, ask God for a sign. No, no, I can't ask God for a sign. God says, I'm going to give you a sign. And he talks generationally to them and tells them about what's going to happen with Jesus. Isn't that crazy what God would do right in the midst of our doubt? That he would prophesy through Isaiah about Jesus coming. And we find this in Matthew 1.22. Matthew refers back to this word in Isaiah 7 when it says, this is in the vision or, or the dream that the angel came to Joseph in a dream. Right in that dream, the angel says this, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right? So we see Matthew and the angel referring back to this, this testimony of what Isaiah had spoken to King Ahaz. Then later on in Isaiah 9, again, 
The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Isaiah and he brings this word, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is what Isaiah is saying 700 years ago. They're talking about Jesus, right? And, and what's amazing is that we're going to spend the whole month now, the next, next number of weeks, looking at each phrase, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting peace, prince of peace, everlasting father, prince of peace. This morning, my job is to just cover the first two phrases, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and then we're going to talk about, and the government will be on his shoulders, so what does it mean for us a child is, is born, to us a son is given? Right? Did you know that Jesus is God? Right? I think many of you know that. But he was fully man as well. And as fully man, what does that really mean? Right? Did, did Jesus sin if he's fully man? Did he sin? Did he experience sin? Did he understand us and that's why he can understand us? Right? This is what we find in Hebrews that it tells us about Jesus. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. See, Jesus led a sinful life. He never sinned, but he was tempted in every way as you and I were. And now maybe you don't read, well, was he attempted in adultery? Was he tempted in this? You know what? He was either tempted in it or he, he felt those temptations on the cross as a way of the enemy saying, give up, Jesus. You can't do it. He felt all of our temptations but never gave, gave in to it so he could become the atonement. He could pay the price, right? I'll never know how much it costs for Jesus to pay the price for my sin. As we were saying that today, I'm thinking to myself, God, I don't even want to know what my sin looks like, the enormity of it and what it cost Jesus because I don't think I could handle it. I think it would just crush me if I understood what he really took to the cross. And not just my sin, but all of your sin, all the generations before us, all the generations after us, he took it all to the cross. Hebrews 4 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think verse 16 is probably one of the most epic verses in the Bible because it's talking about approaching the throne of Almighty God with confidence. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever gone to an event, maybe a wedding or, or some work event, and you feel underdressed, right? And, and you get there, and it's like, okay, I'm in jeans and a shirt, and everybody else is in tuxedos and ties, and, and they're all decked out to the nines. The women are in gowns and high heels, and you're wearing flats and a short dress, and you're like, yikes, I don't belong here. Like, do you ever just want to... Can I just hide? Maybe I'll sit down and no one can see what I'm wearing and I'll just push up close to the table. There's times in life we don't feel confident, but yet Jesus is saying we can approach the throne of Almighty God with confidence. Now, how many of us do that? How many of us say, you know what, I'm going to storm the gates of heaven. I'm going to approach God with confidence because, God, I need your mercy today and I need your grace. And we all need his mercy and grace. 
But here's the question I felt God asked me as I was preparing this message. If we don't approach the throne of, of the Lord with confidence to receive mercy and grace, why not? Why not? Like, what's holding me back? What's holding you back from saying, God, it's your righteousness, it's the blood of Jesus that covers me, but, and God, because of that blood, I'm going to come boldly. Right? What is it that holds us back? I want us to hold that thought. We're going to come back to it. But right now, I want to move on to the second half, and the government will be on his shoulders. Jesus reigns supreme. And we see this most eloquently stated in Colossians 3. We're going to read 15 to 20. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. And he made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. We're singing, worthy, worthy, worthy are you. This is why he's worthy, right? He was created first among all things. Everything was created through him. This is why he's worthy. He reigns supreme. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This is what we have access to. When we recognize that the government is on his shoulders, that Jesus is supreme, he's the one that's given us access to the Father. And we can have a confidence, not because of who we are, but we can have a confidence that the blood of Jesus paid the way for you and for me. So if we don't believe that, if we lack the confidence, we're really lacking, did Jesus really die for me? Did he really pay the way for my sin, or is it just your sin and I'm not good enough yet? I got to work a little harder. See, that's the lie of the enemy. You got to do more. You got to try harder. You, you've got you to pay your, the price. There's no price you could pay. There's no price you could pay. Salvation is a gift. And the reason why we don't approach the throne of the Lord with confidence is because we, we don't recognize the enemy's lie to us. We don't realize it's, just, it's a gift. But as we receive the gift, we can come to the Father. I've known God my whole life, practically, since I've been 10. This is one of those things that's got to go from your head to your heart. There's a revelation that happens when you, when you understand, I can approach God's throne with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. I can ask for mercy. I can ask for grace. I need mercy. I need grace. How about you? Then why aren't we going to the throne of God? What happens Is it realistic or is it unrealistic to believe that greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world? Right? It's realistic because that's God's word. That's how we know what's realistic or unrealistic in in this crazy world that we live in where, where we hear this and we hear that. We go to God's word. That gives us the confidence to say, this is true. This is not true. But what happens, Greg, when when I pray and God doesn't answer my prayer? Well, did you ever ask for a pony for Christmas? Right? I know sometimes we ask for crazy things, but it's said here that, that Jesus created everything that's seen and he created everything that's unseen. See, what we need to recognize is we don't know what we don't know. 
He's created the unseen as well as the seen. We're just, we're just dealing with the seen, saying, God, you're not answering my prayer. How come? Why not? And God's like, there's so much more. He's moving puzzle pieces throughout the generations just to get us to where you are. So if he's not answering your prayer with a yes the way you want him to answer it, he's got a good reason, okay? There's a lot of unseen that you don't see that he's working out in the background, right? But, but when we come to God, we can have confidence that he hears us and we have access to him. So now we come back to who is this child? Jesus' birth was foretold 700 years before he was born. I don't want any one of us to miss it. We, we all know that at Christmas time we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But I'm not asking you, do you celebrate the birth of Jesus? I'm asking, do you know my Jesus? Do you recognize him as your Lord, as your Savior, that he is the Messiah of the, of the world? He's the Messiah for generations past. He's the Messiah for generations forward. But guess what? The Jews and King Ahaz missed it 700 years ago when Isaiah was telling them about Jesus. They missed it, some of them, even in the time of Jesus. And some of us even miss it now. So let's not miss the Messiah this Christmas. Right? So, so what is a realistic expectation to have of God? And what is an unrealistic expectation to have of God? Mary and Joseph, they heard what the angels saying. Wait a minute. You want me to believe what? You want me to believe that, that my fiance is going to get pregnant, that we're going to have the son of God. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to raise the son of God, like just us. How can that be? So what is realistic and what is unrealistic? Is it realistic to believe that Jesus is going to take away all my problems and that if I come to God, my life is going to be easy? I wish that would be realistic, but you don't find that in the Word of God. This is what you find in the Word of God. In the world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So if you come to Jesus asking Jesus, make my life easier, make my life better, that's like asking for, for a pony at Christmas time. It's not going to happen. That's not in the Word of God. Is it unrealistic for me to temper my expectation of who God is and how big he is? Or is it realistic? No, it's unrealistic. I don't need, that's what some of us do. When, when we don't approach the throne of God with confidence, we temper our expectation. God, you're really not big enough to save me. You could save others. You can't save me. No, he's either big enough for us all or he's not big enough for any of us. But what is it that we choose not to believe And we're really coming back to the cross saying, Jesus, your sacrifice on the cross was big enough to accomplish three quarters, but not the full thing, right? We can come to God and ask for anything in his name and he will do it. That's what his word says. So what are we not asking for? Yeah, I pray for a lot of things. And you know what? Sometimes I pray and God answers and sometimes I pray and God doesn't answer. But I know that God hears it all. I know that God's working. There's just a lot behind the scenes that I'm not privy to, and I'm okay with that. I'm a data guy. I'm a logical guy, but I'm okay that God knows more than I know. Are you all right with that? That God knows more than you know, right? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, but he promises to come back and to fulfill all that his word is, and it's not going to return unto him void. It's unrealistic to think I'm going to pray and all my prayers are going to be answered with a yes in the timing that I'm asking God for. That's unrealistic. It is realistic to believe that as I pray to God and put him first, my faithfulness is my obedience to him. I leave the outcome to him. I don't have to do the outcome. Stay in my lane. 
right? I'm not the outcome worker. That's God's part. I'm the prayer. But what is it that we're not praying for, right? It was amazing through worship when we're talking about generations, and I'm thinking, okay, what about the, the kids that we've raised and have walked away? Did we forget about that? Did we stop praying for that? Guys, I remember, I'm thinking about the generations. It was my oldest sister that got saved first in my family. And then my parents got saved and all eight of us kids got saved, right? It's amazing to think of what happened. And then my oldest sister, she walks away and gets involved in a cult and disowns the family. Like the craziest stuff, right? We prayed for years. It was probably 15 to 20 years before we even started to have communication with her. And God uses me, the youngest in the family, to to build a bridge. And you know what? God restored her. It took took 25 years before my mom saw her again. But like God is working stuff out in the background that we have no idea. Like we want to see it. We want to feel it now. And God's like, no, this is going to take me some time. I got to work the puzzle pieces. So what is it that you're praying for? Don't stop praying. It's realistic to believe God for how big he is. It's unrealistic to believe him that he's got to work in your timing because you don't see everything. I don't see everything. We can't ask God to do that. My twin sister, you might have read in the Shiloh News a, a couple of weeks ago. My twin sister, years ago, like three years ago, she got pancreatic cancer. It wrecked me. I thought she was going to die because whatever you hear about pancreatic cancer, it's terminal, right? She has surgery. They take your entire pancreas out. And she's cancer-free. And I'm like, does that happen? Like, I never heard of that happening. She's lived cancer-free, and guess what? Now, she's not feeling good. She's going to this doctor, that doctor, the other doctor. Finally, they do a full body scan, and the cancer's back in her lymph nodes where her pancreas was. And, And we're faced with this. Oh, my gosh, she's got to face cancer again? And here's what God wells up in me. Like, if he could heal you once, why can't he heal you twice? Right? I mean, if you compare and contrast, the first time I didn't even have faith to believe and to pray for her, I could hardly talk to her on the phone the week before her surgery because I was afraid I'm just going to break down and I don't want to speak, you know, and and not be filled with faith. Now I'm like, Gina, like God's got this. You've been through chemo once. You can do it again. God's going to heal you again. We're going to pray in faith. And she's, she's got a great attitude as she starts chemo tomorrow. So please pray for her. But what is it? that we come to Jesus, he's just a baby. He's just a baby. How do I know if he's gonna grow up and be the Messiah? Like that's maybe where Mary and Joseph were. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? What is it that you have have stopped praying for maybe? What is it that you have said to God, God, I don't know if you're big enough to handle this. Or, or maybe you feel like you're still working your way to approach God's throne with confidence, to approach him, to ask for mercy and grace. Guys, you need mercy and grace. I need mercy and grace today. I need it every day of my life. So if you want to come to God in a fresh way with prayers, maybe that you haven't prayed for a while or, or that you're not being bold enough in your prayers, like God's okay with that. He's okay with you saying, Lord, your word says, and then we pray the rest of his word. It's not okay to say, God, you got to do it now because now we're putting God in a box that it's got to work the way we think it's got to work. Let him do what he does best. He's the outcome, God. We're just, we just got to be faithful in our obedience. 
But I believe there's some of us this morning, we haven't been faithful in our obedience to pray. We've, we've lost sight of God. This is the miracle of what Jesus did on the cross for me. And I gotta, I gotta be obedient to share that miracle with others. I gotta be obedient to pray. So would you pray with me as we close in prayer today? If you're here today and, and there's something that's coming to your mind, you know what, I've stopped praying for this. Or I've stopped praying for, for this other circumstance. God, maybe I've asked you for the pony and I didn't get the pony and now I don't believe in Christmas anymore, so to speak. God's, God's got you. He's fully man. He understands you. He's been tempted like you are. He's seen your doubt. He's seen your worry. He's seen even your unfaithfulness to him. King Ahaz was unfaithful right at the moment God gave him this prophecy through Isaiah. He was trusting in man. Guys, I believe the Spirit of God is saying, you don't need to trust in man anymore. You can put your eyes and your confidence on me. So Lord Jesus, we come to you today. Raise your hands with me if you're comfortable. We come, with, we come to you today. We put, our, we put our eyes on you today, God. We, we say we have confidence in who you are. We come before you boldly because of the blood of Jesus. We come into your throne room today. And Father, maybe some of us, we don't even want to ask for anything. We just want to say, worthy are you, God. You already know our needs. We're just saying, worthy are you, Lord Jesus. But God, for those of us that, that don't feel like we can come into your throne room of grace, I want to tell you today is the day that Jesus can meet you. Today is the day that you could have a relationship with Jesus. As soon as we finish the prayer here, we're going to have a prayer team up front. Prayer team, would you come now? And I'm asking you, if you don't know my Jesus, if you have stopped praying big prayers, or maybe you've never prayed a prayer to give your life to Jesus, that's a big prayer. You don't come to Jesus because you want a better life. You come to Jesus because he saves you from your sins. And that's the invitation of the cross. That's the invitation that Jesus paid the way for us. So, Father, thank you for all that you've done, for all that you're going to do. Lord, I pray for every prodigal that we've held on our hearts, God. Maybe we've forgotten to pray for them, but, Lord, we ask for their return now. In Jesus' name, we ask by the Spirit of God that you go after our sons and our daughters, Lord. Bring them home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you. If not, God bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Thank you for being here.